um, and, and just walk through what it looks like as we continue our journey walking through the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, what it looks like to go from death to life. And so let, let me open up this morning. We're going to look at the first three verses together and then we'll wa- look at walk through the whole thing together. And so Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, I pray that as we just go into Your Word this morning, God, as we look at Your Word together, I pray that Your Word would, would, would be powerful in our hearts, God, that it would just impact us in a way that's going to change us, going to Uh, move us, going to mold us into the image of Christ. God, I pray that as I preach that you would provide the power and the grace I need to be able to do this. God, I pray that you would give us the the energy and the heart to be able to hear from you, God, and that you would give us the strength we need to obey you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, clear our minds now of all other things and that we'd be able to focus on you, focus on your word and your truth and what you've called us to do. Lord, we need your help. I need your help. God, we need your help if we are going uh, to see you move in this place. And so, God, I pray now that you would come, that you would help, and that you would move uh, in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in verse 1, Paul says that he urges these people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they'd been called. Now, I don't know about y'all, but... Throughout the, the years and the, as I've grown, there have been moments in time where I thought that maybe I could develop a walk that said something of how cool and, and, and you know, that showed a little bit of swag. Uh, my wife says I have zero swag. Like I have zero ability to prove how cool or how tough or anything by the way that I walk. Some people got it. I, I get that. I think back was it the 80s or 90s, there was even a song about it, right? You can't walk or you can't talk, you can't sing. It's something about the way you walk. Well, I, I can't. I, like, I cannot prove my coolness through my walk. My walk is basically, my goal is, is number one, to get from point A to point B and to do that without falling. Like, that's goal number one. Not to look cool, but to get from point one to point two without falling. My second goal in that is to make sure that I get there as quickly as possible. Right? I don't want to fall, and I want to get there as quickly as possible. And the third goal, sort of related to the first two, is I want to get there with enough breath that I'm not out of breath by the time I get there. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like yesterday, the kids and Crystal were racing up the stairs uh, at the, the place where you park over here downtown. They got up there, and they were like, <sighs> and they couldn't breathe. I was like, yeah, that's right. I got up here, and I can still breathe, and I didn't fall. Goal accomplished, right? I mean, most of the time when we're talking about our walk, We're talking about getting from one place to another without falling and having enough breath once we get there. Not about how cool we are. Some of y'all, you got all of that and you got cool on top of it. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. I'm not jealous at all. Maybe just a little. My wife, like I said, has made fun of me for a long time for my walk. And so that's sort of a a sore subject. But, But Paul says here that the way that we walk should show that we have, that the way that we walk should be in such a way that is worthy of our calling. Now, what does he mean here? Does, this, does he mean that there should be sort of, a, sort of a limp in our step or a little something that says, hey, we're cool? Is that what he's talking about? No. He's talking about the way that we live, the things that we say, the things that we don't say, the things we want to say but we don't say, the habits we form, 
the habits we kill. He wants us to live our lives in a way that is worthy of our calling. Well, what, is wor- what calling is he talking about? The first three chapters of Ephesians is what he's talking about in particular here. He's talking about all that he's talked about up to this point. Therefore, brothers, since I said everything I've said up to now, this is the way you ought to live. This is the way you ought to conduct yourself in the world around you. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he doesn't say anything about what we ought to do. In fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is talking about who God is, who we were, and who God is making us into. He never says, now do this, now do this. He doesn't get to that until chapter 4. Like, it's all theological material up to this point. He's simply expressing to us who God is and who God is making us into be in light of who we were. And so God is taking us and He's shaping us to be His people. We're no longer slaves. We're now sons. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We've now been set free in Christ. And we've been brought together as His people to show His glory to the world. And so Paul says, walk like that. Walk in a manner that's worthy of that. Live in a way that shows who you are. That shows that you are God's children and not slaves of the world. That you're not slaves of sin and that you're not you're no longer part of the world around you. You have been brought together to live out this gospel within community. And so the first three chapters set us up for that. And then chapter four, he's like, you're a believer. You're alive. Now act like it. Now act right. Like get your stuff together and do what you've been called to do. And so he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I want you to live in a way that people know that you are his, that you are God's people and so how do we do that well verses two and three tell us how we do that and so he gives us a list here he says that we are to walk in or live with humility gentleness patience bearing with one another in love so let's walk through this the first one is humility that's an easy one right i got that one down i am so humble that's sort of the opposite right now you can't do that the problem with humility as soon as you feel like you have arrived you have departed. Like, there's no way for us to be proud of our humility. It's impossible. Humility is the idea that you are thinking about others more than yourself. And you're okay with others not uh, pointing out how amazing you are. Well, it, it is impossible for us to be humble and think only of ourselves. Listen to Philippians 2 3 where Paul is describing humility and describing the attitude of humility. He says that we should be considering others better than ourselves, not being conceited and not having selfish ambition. Tim, Tim Keller, uh, one, one Christian author, said it this way. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And his point is, is that humility is not simply saying, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Humility is saying it doesn't matter if I'm worthy or not, I don't have to demand it. It's, it's saying it, it may not be fair for me to be put at the back of the line, but I, I don't have to have the front place. I, it may not be fair for me not to be uh, you know, lifted up and honored in this point, but I'm not going to demand it. Humility is saying I have the right as a believer in Jesus Christ to give up my rights. I have the right to say it's not all about me. It's the opposite of pride. He's going to talk about defending the, the unity of the body. Guys, humility is absolutely important. Pride will destroy unity quicker than anything else. 
Because when pride creeps in, we begin to demand, this is my right, this is my right, this is my right. Humility says, no, you take the road. You take this. You have the preference in this situation. It goes from humility to gentleness. Now, sometimes when we look at gentleness, we think of gentleness as weakness. Because another word here is meekness. You know, we think of in terms of someone being timid or fearful or, or, or very soft-spoken. But when you look in the Old Testament, one of the men, well, in fact, God says this to Moses. He says he's the meekest man on the planet. Consider my servant Moses. He's the meekest man on earth. Because Moses was not a weak dude. Like he killed an Egyptian and buried him in, in the sand. He's a guy who, when he uh, was, was running and fleeing from Pharaoh, he comes across some, some women who are being mistreated by men, and he runs the men off. He, he runs them out of town, basically. He beats them up and sends them on their way. Like, Moses is not a, a, a soft guy. He is not a, a weak guy. He's a, he's a strong guy. But he's a man who submits himself to God. Not always perfectly. In fact, when he loses his cool and he loses his temper and he goes off on the people of God, what happens? Well, he gets prevented from entering into the promised land. And so meekness is not necessarily weakness. It's not the, the, um, the demeanor of someone who is weak or someone who is unable uh, to be strong. It's simply a way of speaking. Paul, Paul would talk about it later in Galatians when he said, if any of you fall into sin, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, of gentleness. It's more about what we, or how we say something instead of just what we say. And so, so, so we have gentleness. And then the next one is patience. And we can just skip that one. We don't have to deal with that one. We all got that one, right? I don't really like to talk much about patience because God reminds me that I struggle with this one. Like, I, I, you know, I have my moments of arguing with the microwave, of feeling like the Keurig takes too long. Like, really? You know? Keurig, you're not ready. You don't have my cup already filled with coffee and it's cooled to the right temperature before I even think about it. Like, that, that's sometimes... My, my struggle, right? And, and, and so he says that we ought to be patient people. We ought to be people living together in patience. And so we pray, God, give me patience and be quick about it, right? I mean, that's sort of our attitude sometimes. Hurry up and do what I want you to do. Get on my timetable and make things happen. The problem, though, is when we don't have patience, that we see something happening in our lives that's prideful, not humble, we begin to think that our agenda should be everybody else's agenda. You see, what patient, impatience does, the opposite of patience does, is it reveals something about our heart. It reveals that we really, in that moment, believe the whole world should revolve around us. Like, I'm late for work today and this person is driving too slow, therefore they need to revolve around me and get out of my way. I expect this to be done at this time and I expect my, my preferences to be met. Therefore, I expect these people to get on my train and do what I want them to do. You see, guys, patience says, oh wait, the world doesn't revolve around me. In humility, I'm willing to submit to the Lord and allow His plan to take, take action. Patience says, I'm not about my agenda. I'm about His. I'm willing to allow people to grow into who God would have them to be instead of me expecting them to be there already. And when we're patient people and we're humble people and we're gentle people, then the next one flows out of this. Bearing one, with one another in love. Then basically, 
a modern translation would be put up with each other in love. Now, I don't know about you, but that all comes out of having patience. It's the patience for one another because of who God is, because of what God has done for us, and because of the fact that God loves us and loves them, and Christ loves us and loves them. We are willing to wait on the people around us to grow into who God would have them to be. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are some people who may or may not annoy you in life. They may even be a part of God's body of believers here. They may be part of Christ's church. At one point or another, I would be willing to bet that just about anybody is going to annoy you on the right day, at the right time, in the right moment. And so what do you do about that? Well, you bear with one another and love you. Put up with each other. The flip side of that, though, guys, is this. There are people putting up with you. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you're annoying sometimes. I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. Please hear me. We all annoy people around us. Let me put it that way. I don't mean you are annoying. You know what I mean. And many times, if we always think that everyone else is annoying, guess who probably the problem is? Like if you're sitting there, you're like, that's right, I've got to put up with a lot of people. It probably means there's a lot of people having to put up with you. It, you see, to, to walk humbly with the Lord is to say, I have not arrived, neither have they, Let's walk together. Let's put up with each other together. It's this constant humility that says, I'm not in a position to condemn all the people around me because God hasn't made them who they ought to be yet. It's this waiting on the Lord to change uh, each other as we work together. And so he goes on. All of this, this humility, this patience, this bearing with one another in love, this gentleness, all comes down to this, eager to maintain Unity, to maintain the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You notice this eager to maintain this unity is not passive, it is active. It's something you actually have to work at. Like, it doesn't just happen. If we're, if we're not actually working towards unity, it will never actually take place. It's something we have to maintain. It's not something we create. The Holy Spirit's the one who creates it. We have unity in Him, but in order to maintain it, we actually have to work towards it. We actually have to pursue it. And so we, we pursue unity with patience and humility and gentleness and putting up with each other. That means we have to give up on self-centeredness. If we're going to be humble, we must not make everything about ourselves. Pride is going to destroy this unity. If we're walking around self-absorbed with our own agenda and our own purpose. We're never going to be unified. We, we have to be careful with harshness. Instead of being gentle sometimes, we are harsh in the way that we say things. We must maintain a gentleness in the way that we speak to one another so that we don't create unnecessary pain for each other. We must say no to our own plans and instead walk in patience. You know, we have to be careful about thinking that we always have the answers. And we have to wait on God to work. And something else I thought about is we have to refuse to expect people to be perfect and we have to refuse to pretend like they are. You see, I think sometimes we want to pretend and ignore the imperfections in the people around us. If we do that, we're never really going to love them because we're loving a figment of our imagination. Like, like Crystal will tell you, I'm not perfect, but she loves me anyway, right? She doesn't pretend for me to be perfect either because she knows that's not true. Well, the same thing's true with the people around us. Sometimes we expect them to be perfect or at least be perfect to the point we can pretend like they are so that we don't have to deal with any of their, their issues. 
But the truth is, is this patient love that Paul's calling us to looks at people in their imperfections, looks at people with all of their issues and loves them anyway and bears with them anyway. The constant putting up with each other in the middle of all these things that we have to deal with out of each other. This isn't minimizing their issues. It's loving them through their issues and allowing God to work in them so that even when they do stuff that bugs you, you love them anyway. Even when you don't get your way, you love them anyway. And so sometimes we think that that just because, like I said earlier, that no one's ever said anything to us about all of our issues, we must be perfect. The truth is, is we all have this tendency to walk around pretending like everybody else is perfect, and that way we don't have to deal with their issues until we get alone, and then we can say whatever we want. And so that's, that's the attitude that brings disunity, not unity. And so protecting unity comes out of dealing with the annoying stuff, putting up with it, not always getting our way. Which is hard, right? It's hard to deal with these things sometimes because we think that we know what's best. We think we know what's right. But Paul says here that we walk together in unity if we're going to walk worthy of the Lord. But he goes on. We've got to see what we're unified by here in verses 4 through 6 because it's not just like a blanket unity. It's not whoever comes along we're unified with. No, we're actually unified uh, by what we believe and by who Jesus is. Look at verse 4. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul points out these seven statements. This is, most people feel like this was a creed that they, that they recited in the early church. That either Paul wrote or was part of a, a creed that they would recite regularly to remind, remind themselves that they uh, believed the same things. And so he goes through here, one body. And so we, we share this common existence in Christ's church. Even though we're from different ethnic backgrounds, different uh, backgrounds of all sorts, we come together in one body. We're not separated out. We have one spirit. There's one common Holy Spirit who combines us and creates a unity uh, for us and in us. One hope. We have one shared hope. Jesus has saved us. Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus is taking us to heaven with him. And so we share this common hope. We don't have many hopes. We have one hope. We all share the same hope because we also share the same Lord. One Lord. Jesus is Lord and there is no one else who is. He is the one boss of all the universe. And so we all worship at the feet of the same Lord. This would have been huge for the Jewish Christians in that day. Like to say that Jesus is Lord to say, is to say that Caesar is not, to say that Nero is not. They were saying we serve one Lord all together. The same is true for us as a church. We serve one Lord, not many lords, one Lord. We have one faith. There is one body of truth that we hold to. Not many bodies of truth, but one faith, one truth that we hold to, which is contained in the Scripture. This essential truth. We have one baptism. It's not many baptisms. There's one baptism. We, we share a common experience of being cleansed spiritually through baptism into Christ. And then also we have this picture of baptism uh, that water baptism represents. And then one God and Father. Because we, we have one dad. We have many fathers. We have one father. We're part of the same family. We don't have many families. We have one family. And it's as we believe these things and as we're united by these truths that we actually have a common foundation to stand on. We have a common ground to stand on together as His people, the church. And so we are unified 
in our common beliefs. We're unified in who Christ is and what He has called us to be and what He is going to do. But on the flip side, unity doesn't mean that we're all exactly the same. It doesn't mean we even always agree on everything. I mean, this is a pretty basic list here. There are plenty of other things that go into unity. And so look at verse 7 with me, if you would. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here, Paul says that each one of us have varying gifts, that we do not all have the same giftings. Did y'all know that? Like, we all have different giftings. Each one of us brings something different to the table because of the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's not something that we all have the same gift. We all have different gifts. He doesn't go into all the different gifts, but here he talks about the fact that we have different gifts according to Christ's gift through the Spirit uh, that He has given us. He, he gives us a longer list in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that may, maybe when we have time at another time we'll walk through and we'll look at. But, but we see that we all have different giftings. We all have different talents that God has given us for the, for the edification of the body as a whole. And so when he says here that he gives each one different grace, or gives us grace according to his gifts, he's talking about the fact that we have different giftings. We have different purposes within the church. And so he goes on, and, and we won't look at verses 8 through uh, 10 just for time's sake, but he, 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 he basically points out that it looks a lot like it did when they were walking out of Egypt in the Exodus and how God didn't just set them free as slaves, but he actually gave them gifts to go along with the freedom that he had provided for them. But as we think about these different gifts, we come to verse 11, and we see two sets of responsibilities here. And so the first part here in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so here we have the, the leaders of the church and then we have the members of the church. Part of the body is to equip and part of the body is to do the work of the ministry. Verse 11 here says equip the saints. What's the job of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds and teachers? Well, that's to equip the saints here. We see it at the first part of verse 12. Uh, and so, so there's a, a specific role that God has given to leaders within his body and that is to lead the church through the teaching of his word. Uh, we, we can talk first about these apostles and prophets. I, I believe that as you look at this, and there's a lot of discussion, if you want to get into a very long debate, uh, maybe we can do that another time, and I can set you up with somebody who wants to argue through all that stuff. But, but basically what it comes down to is that the apostles and prophets are the ones who laid the foundation of the church. They're the ones who give us the teaching uh, that Paul's already mentioned, that the foundation of the church is the teaching of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone. Well, out of that, we have the evangelists, those who go out and share the gospel, those who go out and share the good news. And there are some within the church and that, that go out and they're very gifted at sharing the gospel with those who have never heard and, and so people come, seeing people coming to know Christ. And then we have this last, the pastors and teachers or shepherds and teachers. When, when you look, in fact, this is the only place in the New Testament that this word shepherd or pastor is used in terms of a, um, a leader within the church. Many times they're referred to as elders, but... But when you look at this, the way that it's framed in the Greek, it almost looks like they're the same thing, pastors and teachers, because of the way that they're, they're pointed together here. And so you have this picture of shepherds who teach. And so it's the idea that, that shepherds, those who pastor, also teach. It's not that all teachers are pastors, but all shepherds are teachers. All pastors are teachers. And so they, if they're not the same, they're at least overlapping in duties. I, I know y'all wanted to know all of that, right? You're like, yeah, well, whatever. But anyway, <clears throat> and so these, this office 
of pastor teacher has the responsibility to equip the saints along with the apostles and prophets and, and evangelists as we learn God's word together. And so as these leaders do this, they equip the church. And so my job as pastor is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Not necessarily to do the ministry, but to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. You're like, mm-hmm, pastor's trying to get out of doing work this morning. He wants us to do everything, right? And if you listen to my son, that's exactly what you'll think. Uh, Friday, uh, I had to go uh, visit with his teachers for an end-of-year uh, review of Josiah. And Josiah, one of the things that he's been upset with me about is he wants me to pick him up on Fridays. Well, I haven't been doing that because I've been busy. Friday's usually my day off, and so usually I use that to catch up on all the stuff I didn't do Monday through Thursday. So I just haven't had time to do it. Well, he, he, the other day he had a breakdown at school, and he was telling them, Dad was supposed to pick me up, and he told me he was going to pick me up. I didn't tell him I'd pick him up. That was his idea, not mine. But anyway, he said that the, his, they said that he, they were talking to Josiah, and they're like, Josiah, your dad works. He doesn't have time. And he's like, no, he's a preacher. It's not even Sunday. Like, <laughs> he's like, he doesn't do anything. Uh, I was like, there we go. There's the answer, right? And so that's not, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I don't think he means for the pastor to stand up on Sunday and say, y'all go do it all. I'll see you next week. I'm busy, right? And, but... But it's the idea that the pastor, that those who lead the church, are called to equip the saints. My job is not to do it all for you. You know that, and you know I couldn't. There's no way. We need a, a diversity of gifts to make everything flow, to make everything work. It takes all of us working together. We'll see that by the time we get down to verse 16, that as we are joined together in love, as we are joined together in working according to the doctrines that God has taught us, we can move towards what God is calling us to be. And so we have to understand that, yes, the, the, the pastor teachers are called to equip the church along with the apostles, prophets, and the evangelists. But at the same time, it's the member's responsibility to actually do the work of the ministry. This is a two-part process. And so what I want to say to you this morning is that we as a body of believers, if you are in Christ and you're part of the body of Christ, you have a much bigger role to play than you ever realized. I love what Paul David Tripp said. He said this. He said, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be part of it. Guys, that's what we're called to as his people, every one of us. This morning, he has given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you ways to serve his body. And he calls us to work together for that purpose, to preserve the unity of the body so that we can work together and grow into maturity. And so uh, let's look at verse 13. He says that for this purpose, all of this is for this purpose, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and so he says, we want to be unified around the faith. We want to know more of who Jesus is. We want to grow up so that we can have the full stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the whole purpose of all of this is so that we can grow up. Guys, Paul is calling us to grow up as individual believers and as a church body. A mature body of Christ will be unified by the the purposes that God has given them in His Word. A mature body of Christ will submit themselves to the teaching of His Word so that we don't run around like kids being deceived by every wind of doctrine that comes around. You you guys know this to be true. Children are are somewhat gullible. Did y'all know that? Kids will believe just about anything you tell them. Like, I mean, that's why, you know, they, they think that, or I thought forever that if you ate a, a watermelon seed, that bad things would happen later. I don't know if y'all were ever taught that. It's not true. You can eat a watermelon seed. No watermelon's growing, I promise. It may not be good for your tummy, but there's no watermelon. Anyway, and, or that, you know, somehow by you not eating your vegetables, you're adding to the pain and misery of poor Ethiopian children. That also is not true. They're not getting anything out of you eating your vegetables. I'm sorry to ruin you guys' diet plans with your children this morning, but it's just not true. You know, the idea also that there's a monster under your bed. That may be, no, that's not true either. But, but we, we, as we're growing up, we believe everything that comes along. We believe everything that people will tell us. Paul says that's what happens in a body of believers that is not unified, that is not willing to submit itself to the teaching of the Word of God. They are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You get this picture of a boat being thrown around every time the wind blows. He says that's what happens to a body of believers. You'll, you'll begin to make ground, you begin to move forward, and then something will come along and it'll just throw you to the side. You, come, you begin to move forward again and something else will throw you to the side. You take five steps forward, two steps back. Or five steps forward, ten steps back. And then you just constantly are going around in circles. And let me tell you, that's what happens when we're not unified. You know why? Because if you picture the boat, you have one half that's rowing this way, the other half that's rowing that way, and what are you doing? You're rowing around in circles because nobody's listening. No one's paying attention. No one can get on the same page. And so you never really grow up and you end up being a bunch of kids always fighting over the silliest things. See, the church that's unified around the gospel, that's unified around the purpose of Christ, doesn't look like a bunch of children fighting over silly things like who gets to ride up front in the car. They're willing to be humble, willing to be patient, willing to be gentle and bear with one another in love are willing to listen to the gospel and know that they don't have it all figured out. Willing to submit to God's teaching through his word. Willing to follow and not always feel like they need to be in front. And when we have a body of believers like that, guys, we're solid. We're moving forward. And and so I, I ask you this morning, Paul says here that when everybody's working together and doing their part, that the body grows up. Because as, as we're doing our part and we're unified, the body grows up. It doesn't get torn down. Are, are you part of being, building each other up? Or are you part of tearing each other down? E- either you're buying in to the unity of the body of Christ. Either you're, you're joining in with the, the, the rest of God's people. Or you're not. And you're causing disunity. Back and forth. I wonder this morning... Where you fall into this? Are you willing to listen to God's word as he tells you? You don't have it all figured out. 
You don't have all the answers. You were children of wrath, but God has brought you into his family. He has made you his own. He he wants you to love each other in spite of each other. I wonder this morning, are, are you part of that? Or are you part of a tearing down and a breaking down of God's body? Examine your heart. Ask yourself, are you listening to the Holy Spirit as He guides you and He directs you? Or are you doing what you want? Are you willing to admit, I'm not patient and I need to be more patient? Are you willing to admit, I'm not humble and I need to be more humble? Are you willing to admit, I'm not gentle and I need to be more gentle? Are you willing to admit, I don't have grace and I need more grace for the people in my life? I I don't speak the truth in love when I ought to. Are you willing to admit those things and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Give me the grace I need to do this. Because let's be real. Not one of us does this perfectly. Not one, I promise you. Me least of all. But not one of us has it all figured out. Not one of us has this in a perfect uh, way of doing this. We all struggle. We all find ourselves in places where we're not doing what God has called us to do. We're in fact doing the opposite. Will you repent of that this morning? And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a part of the body of Christ, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard the fact that Jesus died for you? That he paid for your sins and he calls you into not just a a place in heaven at one point, but he calls you into a body of believers. He calls you to be a part of his church. He calls you to walk with him from here until you get to heaven. Have you ever joined a local body and made yourself a part of his church? Have you done that? If you've never done that, would you, would you ask him uh, for the grace to join with his people? If, you have, if you've never even trusted on Christ, then why not trust on him this morning? If you've never believed on him, would you believe on him and, and find forgiveness and find grace? If you would stand with us, and as you stand, uh, we're going to have a time of invitation. This time of invitation is for us to come and to pray.